can be hard when people feel all alone. At such times, people are extremely vulnerable. There is great temptation to be unfaithful to others and unfaithful to God himself when people feel all alone. We are particularly vulnerable when on long business trips for people serving overseas in the military, students away at college. Whatever the situation may be, that causes an individual to be away from family and loved ones and godly influences are extremely susceptible to temptation. You can be assured that Satan is going to be at work in attacking those people. Therefore, We need to be truly concerned for the spiritual well-being of our loved ones and friends when we are unable to be with them. The theme of this morning's message is that Paul is grieved concerning his absence from the Thessalonians. Paul is grieved in his absence from the Thessalonians. And we're going to look at three aspects of his grief. But first, Paul is grieved by the loss of the fellowship of the Thessalonians as a result of his absence. Paul feels like a parent whose child has been taken away. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2.17 with me. But we, brethren, having been bereft of you, having been bereft of you, having been separated from you, having been Torn apart from you. Paul misses the Thessalonians in the same way that a person misses a child when a child has been taken away. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul writes, Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraged and imploring each of you as a father would his own children. When Paul was with the Thessalonians, he viewed them as his own children. And he ministered to them like a father would minister to a child. Now Paul grieves like a parent whose child is taken away, even if that separation is but for a short period of time. Notice verse 17. But we, brethren, having been bereft of you for a short while. For a short while. The short while may refer to Paul's being away from them only a short time. Or it may refer to Paul's expectation that would be returning to them in a brief period of time. In other words, the separation itself might have been short. Or the time in which he expects to be with them again may be short. But whatever the case, it isn't the matter of the duration of time, it's their separation. That is what is causing the turmoil. I remember the day that we took Sarah to college. Now you know I'm 
pretty tender kind of guy. I know I don't come across that way, but, but I am. And I cry pretty easily. And I remember when we dropped Sarah off at college. And we were driving home. And tears began to well up in my eyes. Because I realized that we were embarking on a new era of our relationship. She was grown up. She was at college. She'd be coming home to visit, not to live. That things were changing. And only experiencing that two hours didn't matter. It was the thought. It was the realization. And Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, it's not about how long we've been separated. It's the reality of it. It's the reality that I can't be with you. It's the reality that I'm not experiencing your fellowship. It's the reality that we can't have that relationship that we've had in the past. And so Paul seeks to reassure them that though they are out of sight, they are not out of mind. Verse 17. But we, brethren, having been bereft of you for a short while, in person, not in spirit. So Paul is saying, my heart is not any farther away from you than it ever was. In spirit, I am with you. But in person, I'm absent. But I want you to know that my heart is with you. And as a result, Paul longs to be physically present with you, with them again at the end of verse 17. We're all the more eager with great desire to see your face. So Paul is longing with great desire to be able to return to Thessalonica and to see them. Application. It is unhealthy to be indifferent or even want to be separated from God's people. It is as unnatural as a mother abandoning her child. Now we know that happens. We know that there are mothers that abandon their children. We hear stories of babies found in dumpsters. But we're always aghast by them. We're always taken back. We always marvel at how that could be. Likewise, we hear of godly people that are separating from each other. We know it happens, but it should never cease to shock us, to amaze us, to recognize how unnatural that is, how unhealthy that is, how abnormal to the Christian faith that really is. It is disturbing. But Paul is grieved by the activity of Satan. The whole ministering team wanted to return to Thessalonica. Notice verse 18. For we wanted to come to you. Paul himself wanted to return often. He says, 
Verse 18, I, Paul, more than once. And now these incredible words. And yet Satan thwarted us. I'm using an older version of the numerical standard. If you have the 1995 updated version, it says, yet Satan hindered us. If you have an NIV, it says Satan stopped us. If you're using the King James, it says Satan hindered us. This word occurs five times in the New Testament. Translated in the NAS, once is wearied, once is prevented, and three times is hindered. But this wording is striking. It's striking. This thought is extremely rare in the New Testament. The idea in verse uh, 18 that Satan thwarted, hindered, or stopped us. The normative Pauline expression is, in times of hardship or difficulty, is to reflect on the sovereignty of God and his role in what is taking place. For example, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, when Paul is writing to the Philippians, again, unable to be with them, Paul being in prison, all kinds of difficulty surrounding them, but Paul says to them in verse 12, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out rather for the progress of the gospel. I want you to know, brothers, that God is in this. I want you to know that God's will is being accomplished. Paul writes to the Romans. And the issue in the book of Romans, again, is why hasn't Paul come to the Romans yet? In Romans 1.13, it says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I plan to come to you, but have been prevented thus far. In order that I might obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the other Gentiles. Romans 15, 22. Start with verse 21. Well, I'll start with verse 20. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, I have often been hindered from coming to you. It's the exact same word that's in our text. And the hindering is the work of God. God hindered him. God frustrated Paul's plans to go back to Rome because God had something else in store. The normative expression is, this is what God is doing. And so, it's rather shocking to read in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 that Satan hindered us, or Satan stopped us, or that Satan thwarted us. I know that uh, people talk about that pretty glibly, the idea that Satan's done this or whatever, but that's really pretty, pretty rare in the Scriptures. It usually emphasizes the sovereignty of God and what he's doing. And not Satan thwarting us. So, we need to ask some theological questions. 
What are we to understand by this statement that Satan thwarted us? Well, first, it is not that God is at work in some circumstances and Satan is at work in other circumstances. Let me say that again. It's not as though God is at work in some circumstances and Satan is at work in other circumstances. We cannot attribute A, B, and C to God and C, D, and E to Satan. God and Satan are both at work in all circumstances of life. One passage that teaches us that in a a pretty powerful and ongoing fashion is the circumstances of Job's life. And you quickly realize as you read the book of Job that both God and Satan are at work in the circumstances of Paul's life, uh, excuse me, in Job's life. And the purpose of God and the person and the purpose of Satan are diametrically opposed. In the book of James it says, "Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone." So if you are tempted, never attribute that to the act of God, it says. Because he won't do that. God is not out about getting us to fail. God is about getting us to succeed. God is about drawing us closer to him. What God does is he tests us. He gives us trials. He gives us hardships to endure. All with the intent of causing us to grow closer to Him and more dependent upon Him. So that Job at the end of his life could say, I have heard of thee with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. That through all these circumstances, he was brought closer to God and had a better knowledge of God. But we need to understand that the circumstance is one and the same. Whether it be the persecution, whether it be the, the illness, whatever the case may be. It's one circumstance, an illness. But God and Satan are at work in this illness with two diametrically opposed positions. God is at work to bring you closer to Him. Satan is at work to unnerve you to cause you to question your relationship with God, to bring doubt and disobedience to God. So it's not about one circumstance here and one circumstance here. It's about one circumstance with God and Satan at work and their purposes being diametrically opposed. Paul is focusing his attention in this particular instance, on what it is that Satan is trying to achieve. Namely, the Thessalonians' harm and downfall. So, why does Paul say that Satan thwarted him? Well, look at verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For you, brethren, 
became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. Now stop there for a moment. He's talking about these individuals that killed the Lord Jesus. In the book of Acts, Peter says, You by wicked hands have taken and slain. And then he says, But by the uh, foreknowledge and predestination of God, he was crucified. It was God's will that Christ died. He desired the salvation of a people. Satan wanted Christ to die as a means of undoing, as a means of destruction, as a way of doing away with salvation. The same event, the crucifixion of Christ. The purposes. Judas being entered into by Satan to deny the Lord Jesus. It was not so that a people would be saved. It was so that Christ would be destroyed. Jesus being put on the cross was not so that Jesus could be destroyed, but that a people would be saved. One circumstance, two diametrically opposed reasons. Look at verse 15. Who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, drove us out, now referring to Thessalonica. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. That's what the purpose was of Satan in opposing Paul in Thessalonica. Satan's purpose was that a people wouldn't be saved. That the gospel would cease when Paul left. That was the intent. Satan intended, as a result of Paul's absence, the believers would become discouraged, lose hope, and abandon their commitment to God. Number three. Paul is grieved by the potential spiritual harm that may come to the Thessalonians as a result of his separation from them. Paul desperately wants to be a help to the Thessalonians' believer in their struggles. Paul continues to make personal sacrifices in order to minister to the Thessalonians. Look at 1 Thessalonians 3.1. Therefore, therefore, because Satan has hindered us, therefore... When we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. Paul's going to send Timothy to the Thessalonians because he can't come. And he said, we thought it would be best if I would be left at Athens by myself. Now this is specifically recorded for us in Acts chapter 17. Uh, You might want to turn there with me. Turn with me to Acts 17. Acts 17, verse 15. Now those who conducted Paul... I'm at Acts 17, verse 15. Now those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, where our text says, and... First Thessalonians 3.1 And receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So he gave them word. He sent them out and he said, 
you guys come back just as soon as you can. And now Paul is left alone. No one is above the need for spiritual encouragement and assistance. Be careful in cutting yourself off from fellowship with others, even in order to minister to other people. It's dangerous. It's unhealthy. But Paul says, we thought it best that I'd be left alone. Now notice Acts 17.16, if you're still there. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, so meanwhile, back at the ranch, Timothy's been sent to Thessalonica. What's going on? Well, Paul's not just sitting there twiddling his thumb in Athens, waiting for uh, Silas and Timothy to return. Acts 17, 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was beholding the city full of idols. And, of course, it goes on and he's going to spread the gospel at Mars Hill. So, here is a sovereign God at work. Satan wanting to hinder the salvation of a people. And here's Paul in Athens on Mars Hill and many people come to faith. But that's not the focus of the text. You wouldn't even have known that if I hadn't taken you there. This is what God was doing. But the focus of the text is on what Satan is doing. And Satan is opposing. Satan is hindering. Satan is being an obstacle. Since Paul cannot come personally, he sends Timothy in his stead. May I just say, one of the best ways to deal with loneliness is to minister to others. Look around you, see what you can do. That's what Paul does in his loneliness. He ministers to others. But now he sends, Paul to, uh, sends Timothy to them. First Thessalonians 3.2. We're back there. We'll stay there for the rest of the message. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as your faith. When we cannot minister to someone personally, maybe there's someone who can minister to them in our place. It is of great value when we introduce our loved ones and friends to someone else who can benefit them and help them. If a young person is away at college, get the name of a good church. Encourage them to attend the campus ministries, to be involved in Bible studies, small groups, people that are going to encourage them in their faith. When a person goes away in the armed services, encourage your loved one to get to know the chaplain, to look for Christian brothers and sisters in the military that can be a help and an encouragement to them. Find ways to get other people to minister in your absence. That's what Paul does. But why does he do it? Paul is concerned that the Thessalonians would be shaken in their faith as a result of all that they were suffering. Notice 3, 1, 2, and 3. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith so that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions. Paul is concerned that Satan's wicked devices 
would achieve Satan's ends. Look at verse 5. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith. Now these strong words, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor should be in vain. Paul was concerned that the evil one would have a field day among the Thessalonians. He was disturbed. He was upset. He knew God's will was being done. And he was doing it in Athens. But he also knew that there was an evil one at work. And that there was a balance in the understanding of the assurance and the dangers. This passage emphasizes human responsibility. This passage emphasizes our role as believers in the watch care of the spiritual lives of others. We have to be careful as a people who believe in the sovereignty of God, God's election and choosing of a people unto himself, as Paul did and as Paul taught in chapter 1, that that doesn't result in spiritual complacency. That that doesn't result in a presumptuousness that says, well, if God is at work, then we don't need to do anything. There can be nothing farther from the truth. If a people are going to be saved, we have to take the gospel. But if people are going to be kept, we have to watch for their spiritual well-being. So Hebrews says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing. Again, that, that fear of being absent. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Don't quit gathering together. It will be spiritually harmful to you. Stay together, provoking one another unto love and good deeds. We can't emphasize too much the importance of being concerned about our loved ones, our friends, our fellow believers when they are separated from us and God's people. Prayer is important. Jesus addresses Simon Peter before Jesus dies. And he says to Simon that Simon is going to betray Jesus. Simon says, never. I would never betray you. He said, I'm willing to die for you. Remember Jesus' next words? He said, the spirit is willing, but 
The flesh is weak. Two important truths. First, Simon, the Spirit is willing. I know that what you're telling me is how you feel. I know the sincerity of your commitment. I acknowledge that what is on your heart is you would never forsake me. But he says to Simon, but you don't understand. The flesh is weak. You don't realize how incapable you are of maintaining that kind of commitment to me. We need to be concerned. Our loved ones, our friends, may be gung-ho for the Lord Jesus Christ. They leave with a full intent of going away at college, going to the military service, moving across this country, and being faithful to God. We need to acknowledge that, praise them for it, and be thankful to God, and at the same time recognize the flesh is weak. And there are incredible temptations. So what do we do? What did Jesus do? He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Jesus does not say, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to... uh, Sift you like wheat, but I know that God is sovereign. I know that nothing ultimately can happen to you, that God does not will. So, Simon, I'm not worried. I'm not concerned. No, he says, Simon, I prayed for you. I prayed for you. There is something wrong with our theology. There is something wrong with our understanding of God's sovereignty if we don't think prayer is necessary. If we don't think that there's room for encouragement and help for others. If there's no concern for an individual that they would continue to walk in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We should not presume upon God's grace in the spiritual well-being of our loved ones. We must seek to help our loved ones, especially when they're going through trying times, especially when they are separated from us. This morning, I want this to be extremely practical. I want you to think about someone that you know. Somebody that's important to you. That you love. That you care about. That you've been separated from. How are they doing? How are they doing spiritually? Where are they in their walk with God? And the answer may be they're doing fine. The Thessalonians were doing fine. 
Timothy comes back and says, everything's great. There was no reason for Timothy to be, excuse me, for Paul to be concerned, only that he knew what Satan was like. So scripture says, Satan is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Even when there is no outward reason to be concerned for our children, our spouses, our loved ones, our friends, our acquaintances, our missionaries, even when there is no red flag, we ought to be concerned because there's an evil one at work that wants nothing more than to see them fail. To see them enter into immorality. To cause them to question and wonder about their relationship with God. And they're going to use the hardships and difficulties in life to drive them away from God. We need to pray that the Spirit of God would keep them. Encourage them. Draw them closer to Him through these circumstances. So, what encouragement could you bring to someone today? I'd like you to think about it. A letter? A phone call? Skype somebody? Email them? Text them? I don't care what form of communication. But who can we just let know today that we've been thinking about them and we're concerned for them and we're praying for them? Lessons about being out of sight and out of mind. First, we should not take lightly the work of the evil one or be ignorant of his devices of how he works. There are times in people's lives when they are more vulnerable than others. Satan is at work when there is absence. Satan is at work in churches that are without spiritual leaders. The most dangerous time in the life of a church is when it's going through a pastoral change. There is never a time that a church is more vulnerable than the time that their spiritual leader is gone. We need to pray. There are churches in our community. There's Bible fellowship churches without pastors. Satan often is at work at times like that. Among good people. People that have dedicated themselves and said, I would never, ever. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. One of the most dangerous times in the life of a human being, of a young person, is when they are separated from family and friends and church. It's dangerous. We live in a dangerous world. Not because of here spiritual, physical harm, but spiritual harm. Because we have an adversary, the evil one, 
who will be at work attacking our young people when they're away at college, no matter what college it is, when they're in the armed services, no matter what branch of service it is, when they move across country to do a job, whatever the job may be. They're vulnerable. They're vulnerable. We should never cease in our concern. We should never cease in our intervention. Lastly, it should cause us great pain to be separated from God's people. Constantly we get this sense in the scripture, whether it be Romans, whether it be Philippians, whether it be Thessalonians, and even Corinthians, where the church is hard and difficult and split. God, Paul is always pained by being separated from his brothers and sisters in the Lord. Something is grossly wrong. when we don't feel the absence of our brothers and sisters in Christ. When they are from us, it should cause us sorrow at being separated. But when they leave us, out of disinterest or rebellion towards God, it should pierce us through to our heart. Like it would if our children were living in disobedience and rebellion towards God. For that is not how God intended His people to react to each other. We should be sorrowful when God's people leave us, no matter what the reason. Conversely, we should be delighted to be in the presence of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome them when they return. Be elated if that has been because of distance, that now they're back with us. And if it's because of spiritual apathy, how much more to rejoice when they come back. And be grateful that God has done a work in their lives. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us in our love for one another that it would be practical, that it would be real, that it would be sincere. Lord, give us a sense of the urgency to be concerned about those that are not with us. Even if all seems to be going wonderfully in their lives. May we never become complacent. May we understand we have a very real adversary. And God has not only ordained the ends, but the means. You have not only determined what shall take place, you have determined how it shall take place. You have decided that people are saved through the preaching of the gospel. You have decided that people are kept through the prayers and intervention of your people. Oh, Lord, help us to realize how important it is for us that we never quit praying for our children, no matter what their age, no matter what their relationship to you, our grandchildren, 
Lord, may people be out of sight, but never out of mind. Preserve and keep, we pray, your people to your glory and the downfall of the evil one. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Join with me in closing if you would.